0: Hey there, e-commerce enthusiasts. Let me tell you about a game changer in shipping, ShipStation. It's the ultimate platform for simplifying your shipping process. With ShipStation, you can easily import, manage, and ship your orders in no time. It integrates seamlessly with your favorite e-commerce platforms and carriers, ensuring a smooth workflow. Gain valuable insights with their powerful analytics and reporting tools. Say goodbye to shipping headaches. Visit milwaukeemafia.com slash ship and level up your shipping game today. You're listening to Milwaukee
1: Mafia, your podcast dose of Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history.
0: Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Milwaukee Mafia. I'm Eric Watkins
1: I'm Gavin Schmidt.
0: And Gavin, you got anything good for us or is it... <laughs> Do I got anything good? I don't know.
1: Um okay, so I I'm going to I got a little story before I get into this. Okay. So I was invited to appear on another podcast. Awesome. Yeah. And coincidentally, the thing that I'll be talking about on that other podcast happened at the same time that we are in our timeline that we're working with. So today's episode is that story? Is that story? Can so, you can
0: you share what the podcast is that you're going to
1: be on? Sure, I don't I don't actually know what it's called, so I apologize. Um, but uh, uh, a colleague of mine, his name is Michael. Uh, he's got like I think it's a four part series on Radio Milwaukee about the history of the LGBT community in Milwaukee.
0: Interesting. So
1: I'm on. Uh, I'm, I'm not on the whole thing, but I'm in one of the segments.
0: And somehow this story. Also plays in with the mafia, huh?
1: Yes. Interesting. Yeah, that's how I got on that.
0: That's how I got invited. Well, I think that the only way to, to find this out is for you to tell us a story.
1: So, right. And yeah. let me tell you, I this is going to be a really lazy work on my part because I've got Michael's notes. Oh. <laughs> so... So this I know I know the story, but I'm actually working off of his notes. So so,
0: so Gavin gets zero credit for no this cre- episode. No credit
1: for this episode.
0: This is Gavin being lazy.
1: Which this is the <laughs> laziest episode we're ever gonna do.
0: Alright, well take her away.
1: Okay, so we're gonna talk about the overlap between the Milwaukee Mafia and gay bars. Okay. So gay bars, at least in Milwaukee. We can trace them back to the late 1940s, which is really early. It's mm-hmm. really, really early. But in the late 1940s, there were a couple, and they were not run by the mafia. The first one or two that came out um, were owned by Greek people, which okay. which is kind of odd. Um, and there's a really inappropriate joke in there somewhere, <laughs> I'm sure, because Greek yeah, we're not going to say it, but, but, but Greek has other connotations to some people. So it's an interesting coincidence. But the one we're going to really focus on is a place called the Pink Glove. Okay. How about that? It's a nice name. It's a nice name. It's a, I think it's a terrible name for a <laughs> bar, but it, I think it, it's the right kind of name for what it is. I think people are going to hear that name Maybe. and be like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. So the original building that housed... The Pink Glove goes all the way back to the 1800s. And it started out as Marble Hall. And Marble Hall was a very respectable place. It was on North Broadway. It was very fancy. Um, You'd drink your classiest whiskey there. Only gentlemen were allowed. Women were not allowed in there. So it was a very nice place. Um, They went right up through Prohibition. And Prohibition, they decided they were going to ignore it, which was a bad move because the owner... Uh, ended up getting fined a very hefty amount, and again, this is I'm working off of Michael's notes. But according to his notes, the adjusted in today's dollars fine the guy had to pay was forty thousand dollars. Wow! <laughs> so he really got nailed for prohibition violations. He did serve a little time in jail along with that, and Marble Hall had to close. But then it came back under new ownership under a man named. Broadway Pete. That's a good name. Yeah, because I'm sure his name was Pete, and the bar (laughs) is on North Broadway, so he's Broadway Pete. He ran it through the end of Prohibition, and after Prohibition, of course, liquor and booze returns. Um, But now, after Prohibition, apparently it's not the classy place it used to be. It's uh, now, you know, it's not top-shelf whiskey, it's just your regular old whiskey, and the clientele isn't showing up in their fancy suits and ties, or just showing up whoever— so it's gone downhill a little bit. When it was
0: when it was the fancy place, mm-hmm. it was still a gay establishment? No, 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 no. At
1: no point here is it a, a gay okay. bar yet. Okay. Okay. So it's, it continues this way up until 1958. In 1958, Marble Hall closes its doors and closes for remodeling. It's purchased by Marvin and Harold Klein. Now, Marvin, I don't think we've mentioned before, but Harold Klein, I believe we have talked about, because Harold Klein was a notorious fence, and he was one of the guys who financed that meat hijacking. Okay. Remember the meat hijacking episode? Okay. So, um, these guys, technically, they're not mafia members, because they're Jewish, so they can't be mafia members, but... Um, They're very closely tied in that they were financing crime and they were, uh, you know, fencing stolen goods and that sort of thing. So, definitely on the edge of the mob. Anyway, so they buy the place. They close it for remodeling. All the fancy marble floors and fixtures are covered up with red velour. Wow. <laughs> the ancient brass fixtures are replaced with pink sconces. So, it's pretty fancy. Okay. <laughs> All right, so uh, they talk to the Milwaukee Sentinel at the time of the remodeling, and they say, we're going to try to build up the night business. Anybody who knows how dead North Broadway is after 8 o'clock can realize this is a stupendous undertaking. So apparently they think that this is going to be a new, you know, the the area's died down. We're going to start it back up again. They open back up two weeks later as the Pink Glove. It is believed to be one of the first concept gay bars in Milwaukee. Now, exactly what concept means, I'm not sure. But it's definitely one of the earliest gay bars of of any kind.
0: I'm thinking concept would mean that it was designed to be a gay bar. That could be. Instead of just maybe becoming, you know, like opening up a bar and then it becomes a large following of gay people. But this was actually designed for that.
1: That could be because the very next sentence is... Rather than just a place where gay men gathered, the Pink Glove deliberately marketed to the gay community. So it looks like, I guess you understood that better than I did. <laughs> so Marvin Klein, he pointed out that homosexuals were orderly people. They were good spenders. Um, they didn't want to draw too much attention to themselves. So, you know, they, were, they behaved. Uh, he brought in a gay couple from Chicago to promote the idea of a gay bar. He denied that the Pink Glove was part of a national operation catering to homosexuals. He did state, however, that pink is a color used as a signal for quote-unquote sex deviants.
0: And that's what they were called back then, was yeah. sex deviants, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do you do we know, were the owners themselves gay? Or Mm-mm. they they just saw an opportunity and thought, hey, we're going to try and bring this bar out right. market to this community.
1: Right. Okay. Um, as, as far as, I, I mean, Harold I know is not, or was not. Uh, Marvin, I don't believe so either. That I is, think I think they just saw Business Opportunity. And
0: this was in the fifth, in 58? in yeah, 58. That is very forward-thinking yes. by a person.
1: Yes. According to the Wisconsin LGBT History Project, uh, this was a place where both white and black men openly mingled. This was years before that was socially acceptable at other bars in Milwaukee. So not just this is a place where gay people could be open about being gay, but you could mix black and white, which, again, in the 50s, was not right. really something you did. In its first week adjusted for inflation, they made $15,000. So very profitable establishment.
0: That sounds crazy good to me, but I guess I don't know what a normal bar I don't in know. that time would do.
1: I don't, I don't either, but I think that sounds pretty great. Business was good. There was just one problem. The remodel came at a higher cost than the clients expected. FBI reports state that the clients received remodel assistance from sponsors of, quote, Italian and Jewish extraction. Do you have a definition of that? <laughs> so this is, a, this is a very indirect way of saying that people from the Italian and Jewish community were helping to finance this business. According to witness reports, one of those people was crime boss Frank Balastruri. So he's putting some money in here. One week after the Pink Glove opened, FBI agents reported that Balistrieri was sending men into the bar to check the cash register. On September 4th, this is about a month after it opened, Marvin Klein and Frank Balistrieri were seen arguing at the Belmont Hotel. Soon after, Milwaukee police began bombarding the bar with raids. So, uh, definitely... If these reports are accurate, definitely some balustrier money in there. If he's letting guys go in and check the okay. cash register. Marvin Klein had already been under strict license review due to his association with, quote, amusement machine distributor operations. Which, what that means exactly, I'm not sure, but that could be any number of things. Uh, he He was already involved in jukeboxes, but it could have been... Other things that he was involved in, it could have been slot machines, it could have been uh, pinball machines, which were illegal for a while. So exactly what that means, I'm not sure. Pinball machines were illegal? Did we not have an episode about pinball I machines? I don't recall that. Uh, yeah. I thought we did. Well, at one point in time, pinball machines were illegal because they were considered gambling devices. Trying to,
0: I'm trying to, because they have point a point system? Because is that this, per- is,
1: this is the stupidest thing in the whole wide world, but because you would... Pay your nickel or quarter or whatever it cost back then, and you could get a free ball. <laughs> it would be it would be considered gambling.
0: Oh my god! Really? Uh, yes.
1: Which sounds so dumb. <laughs> and I and I looked into that quite a bit. I'm like, there's got to be more to this. There's got to be like, you know, you go to the bar and you get paid out for doing. So. No, that's like that's seriously all it was. Is they were at one point in time gambling was taken so seriously that any sort of winning even. That would be, they'd crack down on it.
0: This is going way off topic, but we're just going to do it anyways because that's what we do. Yeah. So was gambling just like a huge thing at at a certain point, like a huge problem in society that they would come so hard down down on it? I don't
1: think so. I mean, that's, it's not something that I I would say that like I'm an expert on, but from what I know of all the times that they did crack down on gambling, I don't think it was any more common than it is today. I think it was just a completely different way that we looked at things. It was, you know, we as a society used to make things that were immoral, illegal, and gambling was always seen as immoral. And, you know, and many people still think of it as immoral, but then they used to make it illegal. And, and now today, I mean, it A lot of it still technically is legal, but nobody does anything anything about about it. it. Yeah. So I don't think that there was ever like a point where like there was like a ton of people going homeless in the street being like, I spend all my money on gambling. (laughs) I mean, that happens. Gambling addiction is real, but I don't think it was ever like a huge problem where society was collapsing or anything like that.
0: It was just a thing that got onto somebody's radar and they just made a big deal about it.
1: Yeah. Basically. Yeah, I mean from from what I can tell, I mean gambling was around, well, I mean it's been around forever, but mm-hmm. but it was like openly around in the 1800s and it wasn't really cracked down on and then like through the 30s, 40s and 50s people got really serious about cracking down on it and I think it started going the other direction since then. I couldn't tell you specifically what it was that where the, suddenly it was like this is a problem. Uh-huh. I don't know. But
0: you got to believe that there was something that happened. Probably probably. this. But it could just be some public figure coming out and saying, we gotta make us, you know, keep bring a stop to this. This can't go on, blah blah blah, or something. Yeah,
1: I mean there's a whole lot going on there. It's the same as, I mean, this is totally different, but like cocaine. Cocaine used to be legal. Mm -hmm. You used to be able to go to the drugstore and buy it, they put it in soda, they put in other things, and then one day someone's like yeah, this probably shouldn't be legal. <laughs> and they made it illegal. And now, I mean, it's still illegal, but there are some countries that have really, really? gotten lax about it. Right. Because they're like, people can, people know what they're doing. Let's inevitably, just regulate this people, a little bit.
0: Yeah, people are inevitably are going to get their hands on it. So right. So it's almost an unwinnable battle.
1: So I don't know that there was any like one thing there where they were like, oh, crap, everyone's, everyone's got cocaine problems all of a sudden. I don't think that there was any one thing, just... It's the way that we change the way we look at things. Okay. Anyway, way off topic.
0: Long diet trap off topic. Yeah. But we'll get back to that. That's okay. Though.
1: That's okay. Okay. So this is 1958. At this time, businesses could lose their licenses, their liquor licenses, just for allowing homosexuals to congregate. Any wow. ev- Any evidence of deviant behavior, something as innocent as two male strangers sitting next to each other at a bar was enough to justify police attention. I'm sure it's slightly more than just that, but you know if it looks funny. Uh, Anything more physically intimate could result in violence, arrest, shame, and life-changing defamation. Within eight weeks, the pink glove had gone from an unusually safe space to a definite danger zone. Ultimately, the city of Milwaukee ordered the pink glove to close or face further charges. The bar closed forever on October 25th, 1958, and Klein turned in his liquor license. So they were only open... I was just going to ask. ...for a couple months, a total of 67 days. Wow.
0: And then they shut it down. But but these things existed starting in the 40s. Yeah. So were were they all getting shut down like this, or was this one for some reason heavily heavily picked out of the crowd and like attacked
1: i i think this may be because because they flaunted it
0: because they weren't like, they weren't trying to keep it right a secret they right were, like
1: like you like you very cleverly pointed out there's a difference between a place where um the gay community collectively says hey well, let's go hang out here in sure. a bar saying hey everybody come here yeah like that's at this point in time that's not something you're supposed to be encouraging. So.
0: so so pretty much every other one that existed was probably way, way more on the DL where like, what? We're just a bar t- type thing.
1: Right, and, right. Okay. And I'm not sure how much longer after that it got kind of normalized. Um, There were some others that kind of sprung up around this time or shortly after, we've got here on the notes here, there were seven known gay bars operated in the 1950s in Milwaukee. And yeah, today there's like almost no record of any of these places. Like the the buildings have all been torn down and everything. So they were, even to begin with, these were not like fancy places. They were kind of hole in the walls, just I
0: mean, where people would go. I think an obvious question, and maybe everybody else knows this except me, but okay, so at this point in time, they could literally... Shut down a bar
1: mm-hmm. if they felt
0: like it was a quote unquote gay bar. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. So when did they, when did they must have passed something at some point in time that did away with that? Do you have any idea when that was passed?
1: I, I should know that answer and I don't.
0: I would assume like in the 60s probably. Yeah. At some point in time.
1: Yeah. I mean, th- I'm not sure exactly how it ties into. Um, gay bars or Milwaukee specifically, but there were a number of Supreme Court cases which you know struck down these things like you can't fire people for as long as they're you know not openly doing things at work, <laughs> um, which you know anybody would get fired for and and it, they increasingly developed the idea that people had a right to privacy in that if you went home and you did whatever you did at home, that is not the business of the police or the government or anyone else. Don't do it, you know, out on the sidewalk. But what you do at home is your business. So just being gay, you, you can't go after somebody for that. Because no matter how you feel about that, if they're not making a big display in front of you, like a big naked display of everybody mm. going at it, like, hey, let them do what they do. You know, straight people do nasty things, too. All you straight people, I know what you do. <laughs> so, looking back
0: at the story, so now you, at the beginning, you talked about Frank Balistrieri was an, we don't know for sure, but was more than likely an investor in this bar.
1: It sure it seems like it, definitely, yeah.
0: So, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I don't know this, and I'm guessing you probably don't know this, but I'm okay. guessing that Frank Balistrieri had no interest in the idea of... You know, establishing a bar that the gay community could embrace.
1: I don't think that, he cared one way or the other. So,
0: what what do you think was the motivation behind his investment? Because was it just that? Because I think he said the owners were. Somebody that had something to do with the mafia prior to this, right? They were they were connected they were the they were like, guys they were like had, the, the yeah.
1: fences for the Mafia. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, do you think it was just that relationship that they had and they approached him and said, Hey, we need an investment? Yeah, they were, were, they start were a business
1: bar. colleagues and it seemed like a solid, solid investment. investment, yeah. So. I mean, and there were a few other times later on where there is some overlap. Um, uh, one, one of the bars that Bell Street owned outright was a place called the ad lib and they would have what they called at the time was female impersonators and we might talk about this later on at some point but female impersonators now some of them are basically drag queens some of them are more than that they'd actually be like what we would call like a trans person today but he'd have that as like you'd go up there and like look at the tonight's entertainment is this this dancing review of, look at all these beautiful ladies, you know, and everyone's like, those aren't ladies, but they thought it was interesting exactly. enough to watch, um, and they'd get cracked down on for that, because that was considered obscene, but it was good business, so they did it.
0: So, and I could see that, like, he saw the benefit of that from yeah. his first bar, so when they came to him and said, this is what we want to do, he might have been like, hey man, the drag queen shows, or whatever they yeah. were called, worked great let's
1: try yeah and he was an early he had one of the earliest like strip clubs in town i mean and so that i'm sure i don't know that firsthand but i feel like that had to get some pushback for a while because that's like down on like third street which is like you know right in the middle of downtown i'm sure there are people who are like you can't have naked girls dancing downtown Mm -hmm. like that's not okay whereas now like nobody cares but but I'm sure there was some pushback for that. So, yeah, any of these things, it's like you got to push the envelope because it's what brings the business and People want to see something different. Different, yeah. One of the longest running uh, gay bars in Milwaukee was a place called The Mint. And The Mint originally was one of these places that had the Greek owners, but then it was taken over by Angelo Aiello.
0: Which that name rings a bell i yeah. can't I can't pin where exactly I know that name from. now this though this
1: is this is the interesting thing, so Angelo has two brothers, John and Vito, and these are both mob guys, and they're going to come up in our stories again, and they are all three of them are the sons of Isidore. And they are the grandsons of Vito Guadalabene, the original mob boss. Okay. So these are like third generation mob guys. Angelo, I do not believe, was a mob guy. I believe just his brothers were. But it's interesting that he's part of this family and he ran one of the longest running and most successful (laughs) gay bars in Milwaukee. (laughs) Although, I'm not sure that he was gay either because he had a wife. Doesn't necessarily mean anything, but he did have a wife. So... Again, it might have just been a business thing.
0: It might have just been that they saw an opportunity. Yeah. And it was probably, at that point in time, it was probably a business that they saw profit in. Mm -hmm. And most typical business owners at that time probably weren't willing to go there just because of the issues that could arise with it. Right, right. Because the cops did have the ability to come in and shut you down just based on... I mean, even if you got probably you – know, you know this story better than I, but I would assume even if they had a, a rumor that this was happening in a bar, mm-hmm. they could probably go in there and do something about it.
1: Well, I mean, the police can always go in a bar and see what's going on, sure.
0: Right. But I mean, I mean, it just – it's dangerous ground to play on, which is right. what the mafia seems to like. Right. They like dangerous ground that makes a lot of money.
1: Right. So, And that reminds yeah. me – I should clarify this – so this is this is why I was invited on to the other podcast is there's this rumor that the reason gay bars were able to operate is because the mafia backed them. And if the mafia backed them, they could pay the protection money or whatever to the police to get the police to back off. And that is not true. Okay. The reason that rumor exists is because the most famous gay bar in history was a place called the Stonewall. And the Stonewall was owned by a mafia guy named Maddie the Horse, Maddie the Horse Ionello. And in that particular case, it does seem to be that they operated openly because he was paying off the cops. So I think because of that, people get the idea that gay bars kind of grew out of, you know, paying off the cops. But there's really no evidence in Milwaukee of that ever being the case.
0: So, clarifying, you're saying there's no evidence that this could be the case, mm-hmm. but it could be. I mean, well, I can't
1: say that it's not the case, but there's no evidence that it's the, the case, case. Yeah,
0: I just want to throw that out as clarification, because, right? Because it could have happened. It could I have mean, happened. I it mean, could have
1: happened, but it, there's nothing really showing that it happened.
0: Where did this guy, the Stonewall? Yeah, where, was this like a New York thing? This is New I'm York, assuming, Yeah, I'm assuming. Yeah. Okay, so and that's another great thing about this is that now we're now you're showing that this wasn't just something Milwaukee was doing; other mafias were getting into this
1: too. So yeah, so oh, that- yeah, I'm not so uh, crap. I'm going to draw a blank. There's a guy named Phil. I want to say his name is Phil Crawford. If I'm wrong. You know, cut that out. But, <laughs> but, but he actually wrote a book called "The Mafia and the Gays," which is not a great title. No, it's not. <laughs> but, but that's what it's called, and it is. It's it's all these stories he was able to gather about New York and Chicago and other places where this was this was a thing where it's not necessarily they're always paying protection, but there is a lot of overlap where the mafia, because they're on the edge of society, are getting involved in these what was considered sketchy businesses at the time. time. Yeah.
0: And and it's kind of funny because now you have to look at it and say, how much did the mafia help in progressing the LGBTQ community Mm -hmm. to where they are today? Right. You know, like like that's kind of a funny side thing to this, that this criminal organization might have had a huge effect on, on getting people to accept this as being okay.
1: It's possible.
0: I mean, it's we, possible. we don't have any evidence of that, right. but it does seem reasonable that if they're pushing this when in a time when it's a very taboo thing to be doing.
1: Uh, again, and, and not so much that they're pushing it, but they see a market.
0: Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, okay, right. But they're seeing it as an opportunity.
1: Right, So, right. Because which... fundamentally, that's what the mafia is. They're a business organization that fills in the holes that normal businesses, business owners won't take.
0: And it's funny because that seems like an important thing to have in society.
1: But whether it's important or not, not, someone's (laughs) going to fill fill it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So it's interesting. Okay. Well, is that all all you got for that one? Because I don't think I have any other questions. That's it.
1: I mean, there might be things in the future, but as far as the pink glove, I mean... 67 days. Pretty short story. I did remember my other question. Now. Okay.
0: So is the pink love, is the building still in existence? The today? building
1: still stands. Do you know what it is now? The is... last time I know it was vacant and it doesn't look pretty. It does not look pretty. Okay. No. <laughs> I don't so, know if that's been changed since then, but as of a few years it ago, low- it was an empty, vacant, not pretty building.
0: What about the mint? You were talking about the mint was the longest. The mint...
1: The mint is on State Street. I don't know if that's still standing or not. They were supposed to close because of um, like development, urban development, and I don't know if that ever actually went through or not. So, I should know that again. Another thing I should know, but I don't. So,
0: so are you saying like the, you're saying they were supposed to close? Like the mint was supposed to close. The mint like, was supposed to close. So, and, and is I can tell you, I can mint, tell you
1: that it's not there. It's, okay, it's not there. Yeah, there it does anymore. not operate as the mint currently. Okay. I don't know if the building itself exists, but the bar the, the bar is not there.
0: Okay. When did the bar go out? Was it a long time ago? Or... Uh,
1: depends on what you mean by a long time ago. I mean... Our lifetime? It was in our lifetime because when Angelo died, his wife Betty took it over. And she was around, I want to say, up to like 2005 or something. So in theory, it could have been operating
0: till 2005. Yeah. Like, that's a long... Yeah. Run for all. And
1: I hope no one's taking like serious notes here because this is all from memory. I could be way <laughs> off. But, but, uh, but that's, yeah, that's my understanding.
0: Cool. All right. Well, I think we can wrap this one up. Yeah. Uh, as always, if you enjoy this podcast, please, uh, leave us a review and your favorite podcast player. Gavin will hit you up with, um, some contact info.
1: Yeah. You can reach out to us at, uh, Milwaukee Mafia at gmail.com, Milwaukee Mafia.com. Or if you go on Facebook and you go to facebook.com slash Milwaukee Mafia, you'll find my author page. And we've actually been getting some really nice emails lately. Did you see the one I forwarded to you? I did not see one. I forwarded, forwarded one to you yesterday. We got a very nice message from a listener. So, oh, so, I'm going to have
0: to see if I can find this. So, and so
1: we do appreciate getting the messages. Uh, it's it's nice. Even just, just a quick thing saying, you're doing a great job. Yeah. Hey, it makes my day. So thank you for that.
0: That's awesome. And because I switched my sweatshirt when before we started podcasting today I realized I'm wearing my Milwaukee Mafia t-shirt oh, today. Oh, how about that? So, we do have Milwaukee Mafia t-shirts. If you're interested in one, you can go to appletonpodcast.com and go to the shop tab and you can purchase a Apple or a Milwaukee Mafia t-shirt as well as multiple other t-shirts from other podcasts which Uh-oh. you probably don't listen to. But but that is an option if you're out there and you're interested in having one? Please pick one up.
1: Well, I did not know that.
0: Well, Gavin does know that because he has a Milwaukee Mafia well, well, shirt I'm not in the market for one. I do have one already, but uh, so,
1: but yeah, so. I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to see some more of those shirts out there.
0: And as always, too, we do have a Patreon. You can go to MilwaukeeMafia.com. There's a thing right there on the main page to join the Patreon. So check that out. Um, We do release bonus episodes on the weeks that we are off, and so you can get access to those and also help support Gavin's drinking habits.
1: Yep, because we record those after I've had some, uh, some whiskey in me, so they get a little fun. All
0: right, so we've gone on long enough. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll be back next week with the Patreon episode and two weeks with a regular episode.
1: All right, thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Milwaukee Mafia podcast. Join us next time for another look back at Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history.